Bonjour and welcome to the world of triangles. first podcast of non-formality in youth debate featuring Peter Lauritsen from the Directory of Youth and Sports of the Council of Europe at a seminar for youth researchers, youth workers and youth practitioners on May 11th. Peter gave an introductory lecture on the role of research in the field of European youth policy. Be prepared for some triangular talk and for a couple of surprises during the next half an hour. Enjoy! I'm, I'm next, so it's my turn to, to, welcome, to welcome you to, to this uh, place here uh, and to welcome you to the European Youth Centre in Strasbourg and our, sem our common joint seminar. I think even if many people have uh, relations to one or two of us here, that I cannot automatically take it for granted that everybody knows what the Council of Europe is and how it works. So I take the risk to explain in a few words what that is, because my colleague Karin from the European Commission can reasonably um, expect that most people know what the European Union is about. It is not so reasonable to expect that people know what the Council of Europe is about. This is definitely a different world. Um, we are, to mark the most important difference, an international organization. We are not supranational and we are not supposed to be. So in terms of the classification of international organizations, we are closer to the UN system. The, the Council of Europe is not an organization which can sort of uh, decide by majority that certain member states have to apply this or that. What member states do not ratify within their national parliaments cannot become law within our member countries. That is a very important distinction. There is a difference, of course, not far from here, you can see the European Court of Human Rights, and that court has its own rules, and what that court decides, the verdicts, that has to be applied uh, nationally. And national police and law enforcement makes sure that what the court decides is actually done. But uh, generally speaking, when it comes to our committee of ministers, to our parliamentary assembly, to the political institutions of the Council of Europe, they work under the conditions of an international diplomatic system. Um, it is also a very different world with regard to the origin. Uh, in, this is an organization where Turkey has been a founding member. So I'm always a bit in trouble when I have to listen to these incredible debates that Turkey joining the European Union will be the end of the world. I mean, for us, they have been there before Germany. Germany joined the Council of Europe only in 1955. Um, when I started to work in this organization, this was an organization of 17 uh, countries. Now we are 46 in the field that we are working in, youth, culture, education, we are 48, because also Belarus and uh, 
the Vatican belong to the states that we, that we service. So I have survived the accession of 31 countries, personally. <laughs> um, and obviously this gives a completely different idea about what one could call European space. For me, the European space goes to the border of Japan because uh, the Federation of Russia is a member country and not an unimportant one in the Council of Europe. They are actually holding the chairmanship of the Committee of Ministers as from this month. So uh, I just say that because uh, I myself, as a European citizen, am used to think in the logic of the European Union and in the logic of the European Commission, and I follow the accession debates and so but it is in the Council of Europe, which is an intergovernmental human rights organization. Uh, when we do our work here for our member countries, we have a different idea about space. The question is not whether one system is larger than the other, because the, the European Union is a pretty large system in itself, and it also entertains so many extra treaties and relationships with its neighbors that it covers, in, by one way or another, the same geographical area. But the point is to be member at the same right. And in that sense, um, working within the Council of Europe um, is, is a, different, it's a different logic. Um, I cannot explain the whole Council of Europe system. That's not what I've been asked to do. Um, but I would say that next to our policy systems, we also have operational units. We have operational directorates. And you are here received by one. This is the Directorate of Youth and Sport, which has developed uh, over more than 30 years, a very particular working method. We, we do have um, youth centers, this one here, and one in Budapest. I mean, nobody does this. <laughs> the European Union doesn't have them. The, the, Euro, the United Nations don't have, don't have such centers. The, the World Bank doesn't have them. Nobody sort of says. There's a rule when you finance youth work, no breaks. Um, um, so in our case, breaks. So we have these two youth centers because there has been an idea when this center was created and it came back again when the center in Budapest was created that we should create places where young people of Europe could meet and discuss but also use experts but also researchers and identify with the place. Because to our mind European institutions have no capacity to develop collective memories. Uh, you always live in the present and you don't know what has happened five years ago. Sometimes even the people who you meet don't know what has happened five years ago, because five years ago they were dealing in fish. Now they are maybe doing something else. Uh, the same is true in the Council of Europe, where there is a constant changeover of civil servants. So the, the possibility to develop a collective, collective memory, we believe here, uh, it goes around certain institutionalizations, goes around sort of trying to create spots, spaces, where people can come and come back and see how these places develop and where they can also have a strong influence. This has been the logic behind the two youth centers. Don't think that this logic is easily accepted by our committee of ministers. We, we have to explain three times a year why we have such houses and whether they are successful and whether one can't have it much cheaper by closing them. But for the time being, we are able to defend the concept of residential centers. Next to that, we have a foundation and the Solidarity Fund for decentralized youth work. And we do, of course, also engage in intergovernmental youth work. We are actually the secretariat for the European Youth Ministers Conference. This conference meets every three, four years. The uh, last meeting has been in Budapest. 
where the item was use policy responses to violence. Uh, the next meeting is going to be in Kiev in 2008. And uh, this brings together the 48 states. And the secretariat for that, also the meeting of the civil servants in between the working groups and all that is run by us. So we have three productions. One production is education. That's the job of the centers and the foundation. One production is use policy. That's the intergovernmental work but also, of course, the NGOs and the people who come here working under educational conditions produce youth policy recommendations and ideas. And the last one is research. Uh, that was already in our statutes of 1972, that one of our jobs is to make sure that researchers in Europe can communicate. There we actually observed at the time, and I don't think it has become so much better, that uh, research sociology was very much caught into national patterns. People didn't even speak foreign languages often enough. I mean, I, when the time I worked in Hungary, was amazed how many sociologists I met who only spoke Hungarian and didn't even read the American or the English or so literature. And we believe that we should do something to bring youth researchers or researchers in the youth field into contact so that they could communicate, that they could analyze the shortcomings in communication and build up the European communication system. So that we do since, since quite a while. Um, the, the particular format that we have found in working with the European Union has already been addressed by, by Karen. We find that this is a, a, a very good thing. I think today you speak of win-win situations, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> so, so the stakeholders have a win-win situation. Uh, uh, and um, the, the, the point uh, being that uh, when it comes to uh, youth research in particular, there are no basic contradictions between what the European Union does, believes, and thinks should be done, and the Council of Europe. The same is true on training, and the same is true on other items. This is why the cooperation that we have with the European Union covers uh, training, youth research, and Euro-Mediterranean cooperation. In the area of training, we are working a lot on European citizenship, which is a concept which is not so evident, and which needs development, pilot courses, testing out, and so on. And that's what we are doing. In the area of research, this will be uh, presented uh, uh, more by, by Alana also. We, we work through a network of youth researchers. That's the old Council of Europe network, which we always had, uh, of correspondence for youth research nominated by member countries. We work with these research seminars, uh, like the one that you are now that you have joined, and we work through the European Knowledge Center, which will also be presented uh, separately. But these are the three strands of this kind of cooperation. In the Euromed area, we work on the development of youth policies and trainings and human rights education. Um, and particularly with regard to research, we, have, we will start end of May a very interesting program of building on a three years, in a three years process, cooperation on youth policy development with research units in in, in, in the oil Mediterranean uh, area, particularly with, with, with Egypt, with, uh, with Yemen, with Jordan. These, these days, the work with Palestine is a little bit on the, on the waiting list, but I hope that will come up again, and uh, with a number of partners which we have in that region. Uh, so this is what we are doing together in the European Union, meaning doing it together means that we have a common financing and that we have a joint staff working for this. And uh, I think uh, that this kind of work is very promising. And I myself 
could only hope that it could be even enlarged into working in Southeast Europe or the new uh, neighborhood policies of the European Union and so on. But that is for, for our bosses to decide how far this cooperation should reach. But for the time being, with the areas we have, we believe that this is a very lively system. And I think you know some of the products, the Coyote, the T-Kits, and then these research reports or booklets as, uh, as, as they are coming out of these seminars. So this is not a work which is done secretly somewhere in the corner. Um, I want to use a little time to introduce you into triangles. I think I will talk about three uh, altogether. But, uh, so the, the first one would be to say, could one sum up briefly uh, in content terms what we actually work on? Uh, uh, what are the agreements that this cooperation has, has produced? Excuses for a short interruption, but we need to explain something before the podcast goes on. Something you obviously couldn't see since you haven't been at the seminar, but which is important to understand uh, why this continues in the way it does. Um, at this particular moment in time, an old habit of Peter's kicked in, which uh, was uh, the urgent need to visualize things on a flip chart. So all of a sudden he left the area of the microphone and walked to the other end of the room where the flip chart was standing to be able to draw the three triangles that he was introducing to the audience who are a little unprepared for this. Uh, I think so was he, to be honest with you. So bear with us if now all of a sudden the quality of the recording changes quite a bit and Peter sounds a lot more distant. You will therefore hear a lot of ambient noise in the background. It will all sound a bit echoey. But nonetheless, we figured it actually is quite entertaining to begin with. And uh, there are quite a few things that we wouldn't want to cut out of the podcast and this input. So. Thank you for being patient with us, and here we go. So one is the famous triangle on Anything to do with political education, European education, and so, and it should have one element of employability. Whether you are a youth worker or not, you must have heard that very often when people engage in associations when they're doing voluntary work, when they're doing this and that, that will increase their possibilities on the labor market. Is that true? Can it be proven? Um, that's got to be seen. When we work on citizenship alone, we will work on political education alone. But we believe that these items have to be seen together. So in the, the kind of use policy agreement is to always test what is in that that has something to do with personal development, what is in there that has something to do with employability, and where does it lead to citizenship. That's an important reflection because these days, um, 
international and European organizations tend to make a division here. They tend to say we have programs for lifelong learning, employability, flexibility, and so, and they are one type of programs. And then we have the other ones, and they deal with citizenship, and they have nothing to do with one each other. And that, to our mind, is a problem. We try to keep these programs together. More concretely, this means lifelong learning, uh, uh, the, the, the sort of knowledge, the concept of uh, the knowledge society, and so, are introduced under the item of improving the opportunities for the European continent and the European Union to appear as the most competitive knowledge-based economy in the world, aim of the Lisbon process. Uh, if you separate that from uh, all kinds of other items, such as learning how to behave in solidarity, uh, such as caring for discriminated groups, uh, caring for marginalization, fighting precarity, and items like that, where will you end up? So this is where the connection between these two is. And of course, it has to be carried by individual young people. Well, this triangle is not unimportant. It is contested. And some people put their work here, some put it here, some put it there. I try to put it here. And uh, that's one understanding to sort of see how we work. And I might as well, since I met it, introduce the next triangle, which is the particular understanding uh, which we have developed uh, on how the communication process on youth policy development should go on at European level. And there, uh, this came out very much out of the conference of the Luxembourg Presidency of the European Union. We created what youth researchers then baptized the magic triangle, which is one of public authority, civil society, and research. So again, use policies need to be evidence-based. Well, there needs to be a, a connection to the research community. Uh, but they also have to come out of a dialogue with the non-governmental sector. Use associations, uh, <coughs> unions, uh, all kinds of uh, societal forces to actually say what the aims of this policy should be. And, and the government will constant dialogue with these uh, whether that goes into the parliament or not, it's another story, it develops at what could be called a good governance. For the good governance on youth means that these three work together. If you were to only have the, I call it a pubic authority, if you were to only, to only uh, work on this level, you have an authoritarian model. So the public authority decided that's exactly what happened in France in October and November. That is, the Fifth Republic had a little bit of a bonapartistic uh, uh, sort of effect, and a uh, uh, number of ideas about young people were developed, including also the idea about uh, these, uh, these young, what, what the French students uh, were, were sort of in the streets about, this idea that once you're employed, you can be thrown out without any reason within the first few years of your employment. Um, so this was typical for a system where only the public authority decides, doesn't involve the social organizations, doesn't involve the society at all, doesn't involve the people who are, who are, who are, who are, who are meant to, to sort of carry these measures. And that explodes into your face these days. As if 
you were not to be in contact with public authority or with parliament, civil society action on its own cannot achieve much, cannot achieve sustainability. Uh, on the other hand, research, if it is not included in this, in this dialogue, might find itself either in the ivory tower of a non-communicative theoretical research, or as applied research, which is eaten up by jobs which are given either by here or by here, and where they just have to produce the useful knowledge that these people need. But researchers in our field of work want to have a voice of their own. They want to say, we are not only researchers, we are also a group which has an idea about the development of young people in Europe, and this idea we want public authority to listen to, and we want associations to listen to. So, so much for triangles, but there's one more at the very end. Um, I think if one would try to sum up what this triangle has so far produced, on what these days are the dominating trends in youth in, in Europe, then I would say that one could say the following, and this comes from a, a meeting of researchers very recently in Bad Ischel. Researchers would agree, and together with uh, quite a few people in public authority and youth organizations, that we have reached the end of normative transitions to adulthood. So the life cycle, childhood, uh, adolescence, youth, and adulthood doesn't function anymore. So we, the, these kind of broken life cycles and new parallelisms of these elements uh, are to be observed in practically all our member countries under different conditions in transition countries or in postmodern societies, but we find it everywhere. Then, neither education nor the labor market correspond to young people's needs and aspirations. So there is a divorce between the education system and, and, and the labor market. Identities and lifestyles are increasingly plural, contingent, and individualized. A chasm has opened up between young people's perspectives and practices of participation and the participation options they actually have. That's very important for our seminar. There's so much talk about participation, but where are the hard facts to prove that it functions? What is propaganda? What is rhetorics? And what is real participation in the sense of influencing decisions? Uh, our research in the past has produced that most young people believe this is all a lot of talk and that there is not much room for participation in the end of the day. Intergenerational relations face major restructuring for both demographic and economic reasons. Like this whole demography argument of less and less young people, more and more old people. Um, change in the burden sharing and all that is before us. And then the transition to knowledge societies mediated by information and communication technologies creates open, mobile, economic and cultural environments that are reshaping young people's life chances and risks as well as their social and learning environments. Uh, in shorter terms, one could use uh, the, the, the term of Ulrich Beck of the risk society. So there are more opportunities than ever before in history for young people uh, to move fast into important positions, but there are also more opportunities to fall very much down without any protection. Uh, so this has, life has become harder, so to speak, with regard to the, the, the choices that you have in, in front of you and how you can live your, your life. Uh, I think um, this is, um, 
to put some flesh on the bones and not just saying this is how we work, this is the triangle. No, this is in the end of the day about such items that this use policy production uh, uh, develops. Now, of course, this can become in itself a process where we are just negotiating amongst each other. What we need constantly is impetus and fresh results and reflections, and that is the importance of those research seminars, which we have done so far on revisiting culture, that book is in front of some of you, on youth political participation, on non-formal education, on voluntary service, and on social inclusion. Uh, of course, and Karen has, also, Karen has also spoken about that, there is always a particular relation. When we, as European institutions, demand uh, to sit together with researchers uh, during such a seminar, uh, what's going on there? Have we got something on our minds? Are we saying this is what they have to produce and if they don't, we are not happy? Um, I mean, is there an agenda or a hidden agenda? Uh, I can assure you that that is not the case. Um, the idea is actually to uh, get to know the level of current research. The idea is to develop our own systems by by voicing critique and by, by having critical debates about how we work and, and how we are, we are going on working. And of course, by developing a number of ideas which we might not have had before. So there is somewhere also an idea to see what, in terms of results, might be filtered out of such a seminar that can be worked on later in, 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 other, in other ways. We believe that there is a deal, at least many, many years of research cooperation has given that, that is that the European institutions look for this public of researchers to work with, but at the same time we have also come across many researchers who want to influence social change and who are happy to have this occasion to meet at European level and to exchange because very often this can lead to influencing and to go to do more than just this paper that you have done, but to actually see some effects of this paper in, in terms of, 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 of um, social change. Um, one thing has been important over the years when we started this work, uh, there have been clearly two camps. One camp have been the social researchers who said uh, we are a group of our own and one camp have been the educationalists and also those who worked on educational evaluations and so. Uh, this is uh, fortunately over. Uh, in the meantime when we work with youth researchers we don't have, don't have this distinction anymore. We work with social anthropologists, with uh, with people with a background in, uh, in, in, in social sciences. We work with empirical social scientists, but we also work with educationalists, people who are specializing in evaluation and so on. So there is a large uh, scope now of uh, working together on, on youth, and that's exactly what is, what is so interesting about it, because it is an item which creates lots of, of links and connections. Uh, a few words on the item of this seminar. Uh, it sounds also practical. Uh, we, we, we run a campaign, and uh, it's a campaign on diversity, human rights, and, uh, and participation. So we also take a seminar, we tag the same title on it, and we hope that this goes together. It is not quite so. We were running a very successful campaign more than 10 years ago, uh, all different, all equal. Uh, that was an anti-racist campaign where we had lots of means at our disposal. We did lots of things. I think we also had a lot of effect. But what we always regretted is 
that with all the possibilities we had and the opportunities we had, at no time could we sit down with the actors of that campaign and have a reflection with researchers about the notions they would use, uh, the kind of intentions they had, all this idealism and so, where, where was the check against reality? Uh, so we did not have an evidence check, if you want. Uh, and we regretted this very much. So even with, with this new campaign, we have much less at our disposal in terms of money and political support. We thought that mistake we wouldn't like to make again. Even before the campaign starts, we would like to have this opportunity to sit down around the table and discuss from a research end the three items, diversity, human rights, and participation. And I promised another triangle, and I tell you that for me, this is a triangle again. Uh, some people who hear this, they say, oh God, they want to work on diversity. Well, that's already a mega item. Uh, then you want to work on human rights. I mean, this is an item in its own. And then you work on participation. These are not, this is not one campaign, these are three campaigns. No. For me, this is what European citizenship is about. This is what European citizenship is about. Diversity has always been. Diversity is nothing new. Diversity is not invented. Diversity is nothing that has anything to do with modernity. It is the very essence of the European society. We are all products of migration. Uh, and we must have a very, very, very shortened historic memory if we forget that. Those people who today say, uh, this is the border, this, these are the borders we have, and we have to defend them against too many people coming in or so, they do something maybe legitimate, like defending the work they have, or like defending the belts they have. People react territorial. Or as Sigmund Baumann says, you carry your borders in you, um, so then you will also have the borders that you want to have. But that has nothing to do with the reality. The reality is that diversity is absolutely nothing new, and somebody who denies diversity is stupid. It's just an ignorant person. Or takes a very short historic segment out of the history of a nation and says, this is, this is what, we, what we define as what we have today and what we have to defend. And in that sense, diversity is, an, is a key concept to European identity. But uh, how will diverse social forces speak to each other? They need a reference system, they need convictions, they need values. These for us are human rights. So diversity is managed and governed through applying uh, human rights. Uh, and that is, that is the, 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 the connection which belongs uh, uh, in, into this debate. It is, it is not reaching far enough to discuss diversity on its own. It is not reaching far enough to just have a human rights discourse. discourse. One has to bring this together. And in the end of the day, because we speak of the end of social action, the side of to do with what to do, how to engage in it, how to produce social action, the whole side of social co-production in this area, that is for us participation. Participation not being a small institutional system, but the real involvement of societal forces in shaping the society they want to have themselves, uh, within dialogue with the authorities, but constantly pushing the authorities also to change and to accept social change. So participation and social change belong very closely together, like participation and learning. This is what I believe is what European citizenship, for me, is about, beyond the borders of the European Union. I would have the same discourse in Moscow. It, it is not restricted to the European Union. Uh, and that diversity um, and uh, human rights and 
participation together compose a modern understanding of European citizenship, which also goes beyond the understandings that we have developed at national level. But this is a conviction which I have and which I present to you, and you as researchers might very well think this is Euro-romanticism Euro or, or, or rubbish. But that's, that's what you can do, there's no problem. But I find it very difficult, even as a researcher who I also am, to work entirely without one or two basic convictions. And that is one which I communicate to you because it is close to uh, the heart of the campaign and what the campaign is about. Uh, and in that sense, uh, there is also this triangle of European citizenship, which is identical with the three parts of the campaign. Um, I know how such research seminars go. They are very exciting once you are through with all the introductions. Um, on the other hand, you do away with the introductions and people say, why didn't we have any introductions? So that's one of those you can't solve. Um, so I, I, look, uh, I look very much forward to, to discussing the papers and to, to be involved with you also as much as I can in the next, uh, in the next three days. Tomorrow afternoon, I will be asked to help with the production of a white paper on intercultural dialogue, so then I cannot be here, but for the rest, I think I can be, I be available for big parts of this activity, and I really look forward to it. So I wish you a very successful seminar. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your eyes and ears open for the next non-formality podcast. Good night.